Hi, this is Mike Field, and you're listening to a special episode of Forgotten Cinema. For one of our Season 8 episodes, we talked about the 1980 sci-fi adventure The Final Countdown, starring Kirk Douglas, Martin Sheen, and Catherine Ross. I had the opportunity to talk with screenwriter and novelist David Ambrose, who was one of the four writers on the movie. Mr. Ambrose worked in Hollywood for many years, delivering such movies as The Survivor, Daryl, and Amityville 3D. He has written several novels and more recently published his memoirs of Fate Worse Than Hollywood, something I'm really excited to read. Now, take it away, Mike. I mean, me. Hello, Mike. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? Uh, you know, getting by with everything going on. <laughs> it's really boring, isn't it? Tell me about it. <laughs> I feel like I'm lost mm. here. <laughs> I did question the notion of, 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 of Countdown being a forgotten movie because it constantly plays around the world. I lived for many years in France and Switzerland, and it, was, it seemed to be on television every week, and I get regular royalties. And if you look on our IMDb, uh, it's one of the four most referenced movies for almost everyone who was involved in it. Which is become, uh, I, you know, I, really well liked. Yeah, no, I, I mean, we both enjoyed it. I had, I got to be honest, my my partner brought it up because his father really loved it and he suggested it. And I had never heard of it, which is shocking because I'm a huge fan of a lot of people involved. And I was so I was excited to watch it because I, I want to I, I do enjoy seeing movies that maybe I missed the first time around. And I wanted to be yeah. able to do this kind of, you know what I mean? Go, go at it again. But I'm curious because I noticed there's obviously you're one of four writers there. And I don't know in terms of where you maybe came in the project. So could you talk about maybe how the final countdown came to be, uh, I guess for you or. Yeah. 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 I mean, without tw- wanting to overblow my own horn oh, no, or trumpet, um, <laughs> it, it was entirely, the script was entirely my script. Okay. But it had a history. And as you know, that's how scripts come to collect sometimes a roll call of names. It was a, a script written by um, Thomas Hunter and Peter Powell, who I never met. I don't think they were. I think one, one of them was dead by the time um, the script came to me. Oh, wow. I was working with Peter Douglas looking for I, – I, I was fairly new in Hollywood. I, I had a career in Europe and um, on – Television and uh, and, and uh, stage, but um, I just I went to Hollywood for the first time at the end of I think it was the end of '77, beginning of '78, and um, I was introduced to Peter Douglas by Ken Anakin, um, who I'd written a script for a couple of years earlier, I think called The Fifth Musketeer, mm-hmm. which was shot in um, Vienna, and anyway, um, Peter was looking for Peter had you know rather shared my taste for sci-fi type of things and I uh, was looking we were between us looking for a subject and I was doing other scripts in Hollywood but we were still we were looking for something and he found this old script which had been around forever and turned down everywhere and uh, said can we do something with it uh, the, the old script was a story about a um, nuclear aircraft carrier that went through a time warp as the Nimitz does in the movie. <laughs> but it, it, it came out in the First World War, and then this story kind of drifted into, into nothing. I can't actually remember quite what happened, but nothing very dramatic happened. <laughs> well, then um, I had a meeting with Kirk and um, Peter, and I had this brainwave. I suddenly, in the meeting with them both, I said, look, why doesn't it go back to the night before Pearl Harbor? And then you've got, you know, you've got... The air is charged with all kinds of possibilities. 
Right. And Kirk immediately leapt on that and said, yeah. Uh, and from then on, he was, you know, gung over the project. The other name on the script is um, Jerry Davids. At a certain point, I was so busy with other projects in Hollywood, I had to pull back. And Peter was pushing and nagging to get on, you know, get on with this. I, I just had too much on. And I brought in an English friend of mine, Jerry Davis, um, who had created a very successful television series in, uh, on the BBC in the 70s called Doomwatch. And um, he, he just did really one draft of the script, but he got awarded, uh, nonetheless, um, a screen credit. Mm-hmm. But then... Finally, when I had time, I, 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 the whole thing came back to me. And, it, you know, really, as I say, every word is my, uh, is my script. But that's how we came to have the shared credits. So that's, honestly, that's fascinating. I mean, I, I, I do understand some sort of stuff for the, uh, in terms of the writing process, but I know that within Hollywood, it's usually, you know, there's a lot of cooks uh, in the kitchen. But it's great that, you know, a lot of your stuff is on the screen. Uh, and, and mm. you know, you had a you had a major influence. I'm curious what your research process was like. I mean, was there a lot of research in terms of, you know, the 40s, and then obviously, you know, in the 80s, did you have to do a lot of that stuff going back and forth? Well, there wasn't really much research involved. I had to check out certain details about the Pearl Harbor attack, of course, but uh, that was fairly straightforward. Yeah. Otherwise, it was just a question of. Um, Getting to know the Nimitz. I mean, I spent quite a bit of time on board the Nimitz. Um, the only one of them writing writers who, who did. I mean, I was there for a lot of the shoot. Oh, okay. Um, and um, so I just, you know, um, wrote what I wrote, wrote from experience. Oh, nice. First-hand experience. Well, uh, one of the things that we, when we watched the movie, one of the things that we noticed or we we was that how it was because I, I know the United States Navy uses the recruiting tour they did after the movie came out but well, deservedly so yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of wonderful visuals in the movie uh in terms of all the uh the, the planes and the, and the ship itself mm-hmm. but that's something that you were cognizant when you were writing to, or was that just that came out within the production of the movie they just were like hey let's add this oh out. no no that that was very much part of the writing Oh, okay. Um, it was, it, it was, I mean, this was particularly Peter. Peter, Doug, are you talking to Peter Douglas? No, no, no. Unfortunately, no, we're not. Um, uh, you, uh, back to us. Peter was always, uh, passionate about the romance, if you like, of, mm-hmm. um, you know, this fantastic warship and the flight of the planes and, you know, the, um, these F-14s, as they were at the time, and um, no, he was uh, he he was always emphatic that it should it should um, feature uh, to the maximum degree, uh, you know, the sort of the splendor and drama of um, of the of, of the carrier and uh, and and the planes. So that, yeah. that was very much you know a push coming from him. So I was all the time. Um, you know, careful to make space in, in the script for this kind of um, stuff. No, it's like I said, it came, it was some one of the things that was just, there were some shots in there, I'm just like, wow, that's impressive. You know, like you, you just... Victor, you yeah, Victor Klemperer did a great job. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm wondering if, because you're more, you said you're more, uh, you're sci-fi interested more, I saw some of your um, your books that you had published uh, you do tend to do live in the sci-fi world mostly in terms of your writing. How in this script, 
how are you, was it difficult to blend or kind of, cause you have to kind of explain the time portal at some point. Was that difficult or was it easy to kind of get that dialogue within the framework of this movie? No, I think the, uh, the, the, um, the time travel element of it was fairly straightforward. There, there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a criticism. Um, a number of people, I remember including Roger Abbott, uh, wrote about it having, you know, in defiance of logic. You have to remember one thing at the beginning of the movie. There's this mysterious limo alongside the Nimitz mm-hmm. with two people in it and we don't meet them. The, the Martin Sheen character wants to go and say hi to Mr. Titan, who's the big industrialist who, you know, I think is supposed to have built the Nimitz or something. Uh, uh, been part of the contracting thing anyway. Um, once again, meet him, and it's only at the end, when the Nimitz has been through this time thing, that um, we see who's in the uh, limbo, which was there at the beginning, and it's the James Farantino character, yeah. um, who at the beginning, you know, is, uh, so, yeah, how could, it, the question was posed, how could he be, at the same time, a much older man, mm-hmm. hiding in the limo at the beginning, when he hadn't yet gone back to the past. Yeah. And, um, you know, my art, I had a long discussion um, in, in London, in a restaurant in London with Kirk about this, because one of my passions is, um, you know, theoretical physics and all this kind of stuff. You know, the, the fact is, it's very counterintuitive. But if, if the Farrakhan character um, goes back to the past, then He's already in the past, um, even though he's not left for the past yet. Once mm-hmm. you're in the past, you're, you're in it. Um, that, that kind of makes sense of the whole thing on, on a more simple level uh, than, for, well, not on a, on, on a more sophisticated level, it's quite a simple idea, than the usual time travel story, which is, you know, you go back into the past and you do shoot your grandfather, that sort of thing. <laughs> uh, this, this, this one, this one, this is quite a, a nifty uh, philosophical idea that um, if you leave tomorrow for the past, are you already in the past today? And actually, you are. Right. Well, his past becomes his future almost. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Oh no! I, I no! I, I absolutely understand. We didn't. Have, I had no problem with the logic in no. terms of the time travel. I, I was just curious if you were, uh, if you had a, had a limit of pages that you had to use in terms of to explain it or, because you, you know how, even though it makes sense to you when you're putting it on the page, you do have that mm-hmm. element of trying to explain it to the audience, which, you know, it, it, you have to, you know, you know what I mean? You have to hide that in a way where people don't know that they're being explained to or even exposition. Was that difficult to do for you or just you kind of? Um, no. Well, if you ever find yourself explaining something like that, you're dead in the water. Right. Uh, it, 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 it simply came out of the uh, the shape of the story uh, as it inevitably had to. It, it just comes as a wonderful revelation at the end of the movie when the window in the limo goes down. And you see uh, the 40-year-old... The, the or 30-year-old, or whatever it was at the time, Valentino and Catherine Ross. Mm-hmm. And that's just, you know, it's done in a reveal, and you understand everything. And it, if, you can, if you can do, if you, if you can, you know, couch your exposition in a, in a simple dramatic reveal, then you're ahead of the game. 
Oh, nice. Yeah, no, I, I completely, like I said, I completely understood what you were going for within the, the fabric of the script. So you were working on this while working on other projects? I mean, how how was that? How was that process for you? Well, that happens all the time in, uh, yeah. in Hollywood. Uh, certainly happens all the time. Um, I'd, I'd had a big success on English television with a show that went around the world, a fake documentary called Alternative 3, <laughs> which gets about 3 billion uh, hits on uh, Google even today. I mean, it was a major. It was, it, it was in the Guinness Book of Records as the television equivalent to, to, to Orson Welles' War of the Worlds on radio in 1938. Oh, wow. Wow. And I went, I went around to Hollywood sort of on the back of that. And I was working with Gene Roddenberry, um, uh, Paramount, uh, on Star Trek stories. Um, I was doing bits and pieces of rewrites on the, the first script they were trying to put together for the, for the first feature film of Star Trek. And also uh, developing other storylines with him um, for a future series, which they, in fact, never made because from then on, Star, uh, Star Trek became, you know, several feature films until the new generation began up much later. But that, that was lovely. I had a lot of fun doing that because I was a big fan of Star Trek and Roddenberry. And I was doing um, a television and uh, two or three other things that came, came my way. And I was just, you know, sort of working flat out for quite a while. That's great. Uh, it's, 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 it's always nice to be busy doing something you love, you know, uh, it's rather than yeah. quite being yeah, absolutely. How was, um, do you follow, uh, do you follow the Star Trek series now? Like, do you, are you that much of a fan where you keep going with it? No, I've, um, I sort of ceased to be a mega fan. <laughs> the, the, the new, the new, you know, the Patrick Stewart days. I right. thought it was still a wonderful story setting, and after that, it seemed to me it had become a bit sort of, uh, well, a bit facile. Yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of like everything else, you know, just you know, s stories that aren't unreal, you know, un unreal, like a sort of, a, you know, a, a ball of string or something. It, it, I thought it became ordinary. Uh, that's, that's true of a lot of, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, stories these days, which we probably could talk about hours about that. Uh, <laughs> um, how long were you in Hollywood for? Uh, how long were you in there? Well, the best, the best part of 15 years, really. Um, oh, wow. I first of all went at the end of 77 and, um, I was still there. I, I wasn't living there permanently. Um, but I would sometimes spend seven or eight months a year there. And sometimes, you know, two or three or four. Uh, I was still living in England and sometimes doing shows in England and um, and, and, and Europe. But I, I think I was regularly working in Hollywood until about 1992. Okay, nice. Yeah. Did you, know, did you uh, through that time? Because uh, I'm always I'm always curious about this. With was there a difference in bringing the script to screen for you in terms of in the beginning when you got there, and I know it's always a collaborative effort, I get that, um, but more important, like, did it become easier or more difficult in, in terms of your, just in between the decades, and in, in terms of you developing your writing with other creators and collaborators? Uh, I know. Not a lot. I mean, I've, another way of defining collaborative process is <laughs> how many bloody people get in the way. Right. And it's always been the great frustration in Hollywood that um, you have to deal with, well, far too many executives, some of whom have the temerity to call themselves creative executives, which is a 
total contradiction in terms. <laughs> um, and they're, you know, they're the pain in the ass. And they're, the, they're the ones who develop stuff into the ground. I mean, some of my stuff was developed into the ground over there. And you, you just take it on the chin. I mean, you know, I don't want to be quite as cynical as to say you take the money and run, but you certainly don't. You mustn't beat yourself up if things fall apart because the studio head was fired or some executive was moved to another job. You know, it's out of your control. So you yeah. can't, um, you have, you have to be fairly detached. Otherwise, you might kill somebody, possibly yourself. <laughs> no, you know what? I totally agree. Uh, I'm curious, was there a project that you worked on that you really were kind of like, oh man, I really wish that would get to the screen. I really wish people saw that. Was there one that that was that happened like that for you? Yeah, well, there was one uh, one of my one of my novels uh, called Superstition, which is a very very original ghost story based on something that really happened. And um, there was actually um, I was with the Morris office, and they put out the word that um, there would be a synopsis of this novel about thirty pages available at the front desk of the Morris office. You know, one particular morning. And uh, couriers were sent from all over town to pick up a copy of the synopsis. And by the end of the day, there was a bidding war. And um, the producer who bought it, very good producer, but I can't really fault him when I can, because you know he's supposed to be in charge. But somehow or other, it just went. I, I did the first two drafts of the script, as I was um, contracted for. And um, then they said, okay, well, we think we need a woman's, you know, maybe maybe a woman's uh, take on this story will be good. Well, from then on, it was all downhill, not because of the woman's take, but because she was simply the wrong writer for it. And then I've got to come about 10 writers, you know, really snatching uh, disaster from the jaws of success. Mm -hmm. And uh, they must have spent millions developing it in like a piece of elastic in God knows how many directions. And finally, well, you know, it just lay, lay buried. I mean, I've made a couple of million uh, out of it. So I'm not, you know, I was weeping all the way to the bank. But uh, <laughs> it was a great story. And I'm actually trying to get it um, now. Just today I've been writing to Hollywood, just seeing if I can get it up and running again as a sort of long-form, you know, six-episode thing. Because it's such a good story. And that, that is the big disappointment of my Hollywood life, that particular one. Superstition? Yeah. Yeah, I have to, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check that out. But uh, honestly, there's so, many, there's, so much, there's so many outlets now out there for, for storytelling. And especially you're talking like six... Six episode arc. I mean, I don't see why not. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. Um, I, 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 I tried to um, avoid ultimately selling them, you know, the rights totally, but um, you know, it, they signed the checks, and so they own it in perpetuity. Are you still working on new stuff now? Um, yeah, yeah, I am. Good. I've awesome. got a couple of plays which. Um, if this miserable time of life ever comes to an end, might might be done in London. One was done in uh, California. Um, in um, I've got uh, it'll be this two-hander, which is probably going to be done in London. Uh, another more ambitious play, which may get set up. Um, I'm not writing a novel at the moment. I, I published an, a memoir uh, just over a year ago called um, 
a fate worse than Hollywood, which has not been published in the States, but it's, uh, it went down pretty well over here. It got some good reviews. Oh, nice. And it was part, it was, you know, it was my life was not, not just about Hollywood. It was my own life before Hollywood and so forth. But yeah, a writer's personal story, but including some fairly salty stuff about Hollywood. <laughs> oh, no, I'm definitely going to try to get that. <laughs> <laughs> a fate person. I'm sure you can get it on Amazon, but, or Amazon UK, if not Amazon.com. Uh, uh, definitely. Definitely. I'm definitely going to look for that. Uh, I'll send you a copy. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I'll let you know. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely keep mm. keep in touch with you. Um, I guess I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I just wanted to ask one more final question. To, back to the movie. I wanted, I'm wondering, what are, I guess, what are some of your fondest memories of working on the final countdown, either personally or professionally? I'm just curious, how, you know, that movie in terms of its place within your memory banks, if you will. Well, it's, it's very special to me because, um, both Peter and Kirk became really good friends. Um, I spent a lot of time, uh, with them during and after, but for many years after the movie. You know, I get invited down to um, Kirk and Anne's house at Palm Springs for Thanksgiving or something. And it was just a very, very nice uh, friendship. And Peter Douglas, I must say, is one of the nicest guys I'd ever come, I'd ever come across. And uh, it was a treat to work with. And Kirk was just infinitely more easy to get along with <laughs> than um, I'd, you know, been led to believe by his reputation. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's great. When my agent went in to meet Kirk, um, and they didn't know each other personally to make my, my deal on the picture when I'd been, you know, working on it for a while and getting things going. He came out with a big beaming smile on his face and said, Hey, that was, that was really easy. Kirk likes you. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> uh, David, thank you very much for talking with me. I think it's, I'm definitely going to check out those two books. And uh, it was really nice to hear about the movie and, and everything and, and all the good memories you had about it. Well, my pleasure, Mike. Um, awesome. So, you know, what? hopefully we get through this uh, boring, tough times and then we can, uh, you know. <laughs> One of these days. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm, I'm usually home. Because uh, I have three kids, so they have, they're doing the homeschooling stuff, uh, you know, the, the oh like they do over here. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm a part-time teacher, part-time, you know, trying to work, all that stuff. So it's uh, it does take a toll. It's been a year and a half of this. But, um, but yeah, we'll get through it. More power to you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And, uh, you know, I'll definitely keep in touch, and I'm going to definitely look out for those books, okay? Yeah, great. Okay, Mike. All right. Take care, David. Have a good day. Thanks. You too. Bye. And there you have it. I want to thank David Ambrose for talking with me about his career and his work on the movie, The Final Countdown. You can find the movie streaming on Roku, Tubi, Vudu, and Night Flight. It's available to rent or buy on YouTube, Google Play, Fandango, and Amazon. And if you have Prime Video, well, it's free for you to stream, and we suggest you give it a watch. David's memoir of Fate Worse Than Hollywood is only available overseas at Amazon.uk, but his novels, including the one we talked about in our conversation, Superstition, are available at most booksellers, including Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. We hope you liked the interview, and if you're curious about what Butler and myself thought about the movie, check out our episode on The Final Countdown, available on all podcast platforms. I'm Mike Field, and this has been Forgotten Cinema, an interview with David Ambrose.